security predictions, a challenger for best bargain speaker, should you build a free NAS and more, all coming up on Tech Thing. This episode of Tech Thing is brought to you by Ops Genie. Your next incident doesn't stand a chance. And a big thank you to our patrons. Join the crew that makes Tech Thing possible at patreon.com slash techthing. I'm Shannon Morris. And I'm Patrick Norton. And this is Tech Thing, where we have something useful in every single show. Is this the last show of the year? I think so. Oh, my goodness. This is Christmas week. Christmas week? Oh, boy. Are you in Missouri? I am currently in Missouri. Oh. <laughs> you know what that sound is? A couple what? of friends of mine that live in St. Louis crying. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know what Missouri is? Affordable. <laughs> Affordable. Yeah. yeah. That's true. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. CES is coming. Uh, so is 2019. Next week, we're going to have some interviews with some of our favorite tech folks talking about what they're looking forward to seeing. Maybe a little shiny, happy thoughts from us about CES 2019. I'm almost looking forward to 5G. Almost. Well, you know what? It's just, it's, it's, it's so much marketing and a whole bunch of interesting technologies, almost yeah. none of which will function. Yeah, good point. In very many areas in 2019. Yeah, we like likely won't <laughs> see anything happen until what, 2020? There will be some cities, okay. there will be some coverage, and there will be some expensive hardware. Yay! And don't get me started about 802.11ax. I mean, oh <clears throat> Wi-Fi 6. I'm starting to run out of memory <laughs> space for all of the different names that they're giving to wireless nowadays. I want to see what different companies, like I've got meetings with several companies in networking at CES. Yeah. I'm curious if they say 802.11ax or Wi-Fi 6. You know, I am too. Um, we'll see. Yeah. And we'll tell you all about it because, of course, we have a ton of coverage coming from CES this year. Which I want to say starts on the 6th and yes. runs through the 11th. That sounds about right. We're going to do some long format shows like we regularly do, and we'll have a bunch of short videos yep. that'll, you know, just stay tuned. We will be all over CES this year. So if there is a topic in particular that you want us to really hit on while we're at CES, let us know in the comments below or tweet us since we'll yeah. be there on the stage floor throughout the entire time. At Snubs, at Patrick Norton. Yep. That's the best way to get a hold of us. <laughs> we'll try to check ask at techthing.com, but, but sometimes we get a little behind on the email at CES. We get a little busy there. That email will get hammered. Yep. All week <laughs> long. So speaking of 2019, mm -hmm. uh, one of my big things is I always try to kind of think about and predict what's going to happen in security and privacy. We're just going to give up on privacy and there will be no security left. <laughs> that's my prediction. Well, hopefully that's not what happens. Uh, I'm always curious as to what the new year will hold for security and privacy. Since this year uh, we saw, you know, the creation of GDPR and we started to see the first inklings. What are you laughing no, about? This, this whole year in security was like nothing worse than that can happen in online security. And then the Internet goes, hold my beer. And something yep. much worse happens. That's just... I, you were Marriott. saying, though. So anyway, <laughs> I think that the creation of GDPR and the first inklings uh, of companies being investigated under the new EU regulation this year, mm -hmm. you know, that started to happen yeah. here in 2018, but we didn't see anybody actually get fined. So I think next year we will start seeing the fines start happening mm -hmm. under GDPR. And just as a reminder, that introduced fines of up to 4% of annual global turnover or 20 million euros, whichever is greater. So it, potentially for large companies, that could be a lot of money. Well, if it, yeah, I would like to see 
Four percent. Facebook getting hammered with four percent of their annual. Yeah. Um, is that gross or net? Uh, annual global turnover, whatever that means. I'm not familiar with European economic terms. Yeah. I'll, I'll Google it. <laughs> so many companies have already had the possibility of, you know, having breached that agreement with GDPR, especially Facebook. <laughs> so I'm thinking that we're going to start seeing some fines next year. I'm sorry. Speaking of hold my, just when you thought Facebook security violations couldn't get worse, like oh in the my last. Gosh. I was reading on my best of 2018 for ThreatWire, and Facebook is in the news like every two months about some kind of breach or something that they released. Or and Spotify data. has access to your private messages. Dude. What? Dude, Facebook. What? Facebook was the one that was like, hold my beer, see what I can do this year as far as security and privacy. <laughs> you thought that was bad. <laughs> oh my gosh, Facebook. So anyway, I also think that we will probably also see similar new laws enacted in other countries like the U.S., uh, where there have already been a few laws like the California Consumer Privacy Act that's already been passed. I'm expecting more regulations to be passed to protect consumer privacy and fine corporations a lot more with bigger penalties for security breaches. I kind of hope that does happen because maybe they will take our security a little bit more seriously. This I is hope. my... That would be nice face. That would be nice. <laughs> it would be. I I tend to be positive. <laughs> no, well, I'm just. I'm just. Maybe my 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 sad Keanu face is just like. Yeah. Is there any privacy left to protect Aww. at this point? <laughs> it's very Keanu Reeves. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. It's the best I can do. <laughs> I'm also expecting to see more consumer friendly security being introduced this year into products. So this year, Google introduced a new security chip in Android. Mm -hmm. Apple also has their new T2 security chip both of which help protect phones from a range of attacks. Woo! So I am expecting similar hardware to be introduced in 2019 that'll help with protection. Hopefully that has to do with IoT devices, especially since IoT devices are one of the most insecure products that are currently Categories. on the market. Yes. So many holes. <laughs> uh, Multi-factor authentication is another big one. I think that's going to start becoming the norm. Yeah. Like, you had companies like Fortnite mm -hmm. who introduced uh, in-game perks, so you could download a very special dance if you also use their two-factor authentication. So I think other companies mm -hmm. will do something similar. So I thought of a couple of ideas. Hopefully some companies will take my ideas and use these. A bank could offer $25 bonuses to your checking account if you enable 2FA. That'd be cool. Can I, I get the totally $25 because I already have 2FA turned on? Yeah, I think that's absolutely. Yes, that's how it should be. Or an online retailer could do a special discount yeah. code if you turn on two-factor authentication on their site. Making your clients more secure, making your network more secure is good for your customers, it's good yep. for your reputation. Oh, by the way, it's also good for not getting hammered. Uh, I just, I mean, how many times did I change? 100%. What did I go through, four ATM cards in a 15-month period oh, a couple yeah. years ago? Yep. Seriously, yeah, 100%. Uh, we will continue to see more growth in education and mentoring of young professionals who are getting into information security. As a career, CyberSec is growing and it will have a lot of open positions. It already does. I'm seeing a really nice positive trend towards offering free mentorship, free education, free trainings, scholarships to folks, especially minorities who want to get jobs in cybersecurity, and I think we're gonna keep on seeing that in 2019. And as far as attacks go, I'm not sure that we will see something as large as the 500 million hit in the Marriott Starwood breach we this year. We hope. It was big. 
I'm not sure if we'll see something as big as the 2013 Yahoo breach of three billion accounts. That was, was that a while big? back. I know. Isn't that crazy? So I didn't realize ago. it was that big, but I was researching it and I was like, thank you for that reminder, <laughs> business insider. But it is possible. Attacks are becoming more efficient. Hardware power increases in prices. So more attackers are able to purchase a lot more equipment to be able to do really heavy attacks. Mm. So we can expect to see a lot more state-sponsored attacks targeted assaults on industrial control systems. I think that's going to continue to be a huge risk. So I'm hoping that a lot of these companies will continue to get better protection and hopefully take it more seriously. Hopefully. Every time I think I can't get more uptight about security, you mention like infrastructure and I know, then I right? go to the corner and uh, vomit it in the garbage fault. can. It's my fault. <laughs> I'm going to go brush my teeth now. <laughs> What do you think is going to happen next year as far as information security and privacy goes? I would love to know what your predictions are as well. So put them in the comments below because I will read them. Be nice because I do read those. She does. <laughs> Ever since they started selling in the United States, a lot of audio reviewers have become smitten with Q Acoustics. And after getting ears and eyes on their latest, the 3020i, I can hear and see why. First up, not that it really, well, I mean... It's not an audio thing, but they look lovely in the IKEA or West Elm sense, uh, compared especially to most speakers out there in that sort of affordable price range, $100, Ooh. $200. Yeah. Did you just take off the front of it? That was yes. cool. I have to say, um, you know, I often run uh, my speakers without Ooh. the covers on because I like seeing the, the, the woofer yeah. move because I'm a child. Um, but if you have children or if you don't like the aesthetics of yep. this, I gotta say, the magnetized uh, grill Very is just nice. quite lovely, and you don't end up with a bunch of holes in the front of uh, your speakers. Big round edgeless boxes, they look clean, and oh look, they not only have them in white, but they have them in black, and walnuts, mm -hmm. and gray, and it's it's just good oh to have goodness. options. They, so fancy. This is an update to a previous speaker called the 3020. They are a bit longer than they are tall, uh, like 11 inches deep, 10 inches high, and the port is on the back, and thoughtfully they include a plug you can put in the port if you're gonna jam them up against the wall. Um, if you can't get a good eight or, you know, eight inches, like eight inches or a foot behind them, put the plug in and that's gonna cut down on the noise coming out the back and keep them from sounding sloppy and boomy. Boomy. Uh, boomy. <laughs> that said, I could kinda care less what speakers look like if they sound amazing. Now again, these are a follow-up to the original 3020, uh, and other than a new woofer, tweeter, a 25% bigger enclosure, and well, let's say um, <laughs> Q Acoustics worked really hard to step up on these, and they impress. Um, you know, the first thought I had playing John Craggy's I Am California uh, or some Trampled by Turtles Life at Fir uh, Life Live at First Avenue um, was they deliver a, a good, clean, detailed soundstage for the size, although they are bigger than they look because they're deeper. Mm. That little uh, 0.9-inch poly microfiber tweeter is doing a good job. Crisp, detailed highs, accurate audio. Um, no real sense of a, because a lot of less, a lot of more affordable speakers, they yeah. kind of have the, we'll give you a ton of bass and a ton of treble, yeah. and well, the vocals are in there somewhere. These are actually a fairly kind of accurate uh, uh, tune to them. I think they have a little bit more treble than they do bass, mm, which okay. is not unusual, or a little more emphasis on the treble. Um, these are five-inch aramid, uh, fiber, woofer, bass drivers in a small enclosure, so they're not going to have all the bass, right? You kind of get, you either have big speakers. So they're not for my bass head self. Well, here's, let me, you know, so, well, if you want small speakers, you give up on the low end oomph. Yeah. 
um, you know, it's kind of like a three-legged stool, right? You either have really, really big boxes mm -hmm. or super, super powerful amplifier and some crazy stuff going on inside the box, which is usually incredibly expensive or you have less bass. Like most smaller bookshelf speakers, um, to get the most out of them, you want a, a decent amount of power going into them. If you've got a solid AVR from Denon or Onkyo, which by the way, Craigslist, they sell for like 50 bucks. It's a great way to start upgrading wow. your audio gear. Uh, you're probably good to go. And if you're buying, say, a dedicated amp just for stereo listening, I'd 50 watts per channel, that's where I'd start minimum. Um, like Elax Debut 2.0, one of my favorite sub $300 speakers, they're rated at 6 ohm, so getting an amp that can cleanly drive a 4 ohm load is not a bad idea. And like the Elax, I think the experience is greatly improved when you add a subwoofer with around an 80 hertz cutoff. I like my tubas to sound like tubas <laughs> and to feel the air, right? Um, it's just, you know, bass or, or bass drums or bass guitars or orchestras. Yeah. You know, the low end is about moving a lot of air and you can't move, you, it's a shocking how much air this is moving with that little tiny woofer, but you know, a subwoofer is magical. <laughs> um, like every other bookshelf speaker, uh, stands that elevate them up to your ear level are a must if they're not on a bookshelf. And I gotta say, I love that Q Acoustics has uh, like wall mounts for them. That's so nice. they give you a bunch of mounting options. Um, so 11 inches doesn't sound like much and the low profile of the binding posts on the back are fairly, you know, they're they're not like it massive. It's nice that they're low profile. Yeah. I really appreciate that. A lot of times they either, you know, they do an indentation on the back yeah. and there's these massive, like, look at these four pound knobs you have on the back of your speaker. Yep. <laughs> um, which are super cool audiophile geek stuff, but a pain in the ass when you're actually dealing with a house. Um, but these are a little bit deeper and you might want to make sure they will actually fit on your shelf okay. if you plan on shelf mounting them. Um, Q Acoustics has a store on Amazon. These sell for $300. I would put them with Elax Debut 2.0 on my short list of speakers to consider for upgrading your audio experience. Wow. However, if you want to rock the fark out, I would probably choose the Elac Debut 6.2 over these. Like Father John Misty, Neko Case, John Craigie, Chris Teeley's mandolin, Willie Nelson, the kind of stuff you play at human volumes when you're not trying to make your eardrums meet at the center of your skull. <laughs> Amazing, lovely on the 3020i. Uh, rocket modest sound volumes, they sounded good, but when you pushed hard with fairly dense rock like Rage Against the Machine or Clutch or, well, actually I've listened to a lot of Streetlight Manifesto this week, turned up to anywhere from cleaning the house, uh, you know, with Rage uh, uh, through punk rock dance party with the kids mode, I gotta say the 3020i's were less pleasant. They get massive style points for looking good. The mounting options are really smart. The Q Acoustics, the 3020i, they have a big advantage over most of what you can buy in this like sub $300, $300 price range because a lot of affordable speakers that look good actually sound awful. And these not only sound good in a lot of uses, they look good in a lot of environments too. Cool. So props to Q Acoustics. Um, probably not gonna take the Elac Debut 6.2 off the top of my list, but you know, they are You're somewhat, a big fan of those. I'm ones. a big fan of those. <laughs> Mr. Jones makes very, very nice speakers. Um, and, you know, if I wasn't trying to sort of, you know, play the Red Hot Chili Peppers at, at child raging volumes. Sorry, there was plastic there. I had to take that. <laughs> it was protecting the cue. <laughs> um, you know, it was, again, so much of the music I listened to sounded great on it, but I was not a huge fan of how big, heavy, angry rock, metal, punk rock, whatever you want to call it, yeah. sounded through them. And it's a big part of my musical joy to be able to just rock out at uh, <laughs> inadvisable volumes. <laughs> inadvisable volumes. <laughs> That's all I'll say. If you're a normal human being, 
Put them on your short list. <laughs> oh, in case you're wondering, I did a lot of testing of these with, uh, let me give you a couple heads up on some of the stuff I've been using. Um, this is Emotiva's A100 StereoFlex amplifier. It's $229. Uh, and it has a whole lot of options that I won't get into right now, but are really fun if you're trying to figure out, say, how to turn on your gear uh, remotely when you turn on uh, or when you stream to it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is JDS Labs OL DAC, which when I talked about the Atom, I was like, they need an Atom DAC. And until they have an Atom DAC, the OL DAC is their Atom DAC. It's got a, a really nice uh, AKM DAC inside of there. And I gotta say, this thing is such a bargain. Um, the Chromecast wow. Audio is currently on sale for 15 bucks, but even at $35, uh, running that with an optical spit-off cable into a nice DAC is a really slick way to create some streaming audio without spending a lot of money. That's a great deal, 15 bucks. Yeah, wow. down from 35. That's great. I'm, I should probably buy two because whenever they I drop know, prices like, on things, they tend to disappear. Maybe I'll buy one after uh, after we record. I was going to say, those DLAC debut 6.2s are down to like $250, and I'm wondering if ELAC wow. is going to announce a replacement for the Unify uh, B5s that I have because those are yeah. selling for like 350 and I paid I think 550 for mine. Whoa, that's a big deal too. We'll see. Yeah, I guess <laughs> keep an eye on that and see if the price stays steady through mm-hmm. after Christmas or if it's just like a holiday deal. Yeah. Hmm. We wait with bated breath. And by the way, of course, uh, we're going to do our best to have Robert Heron join us to talk about all of the televisions that are announced at CES 2019. Stay tuned at techthing.com or youtube.com slash techthing. For all the CES coverage. It's that time of the year. Alan's in Tahoe. Barbara went to Greece. CJ, well, nobody knows where CJ goes. He doesn't talk about it. But your department, you know they're all over the place, even though your systems need to stay up and running over the holidays. Because nothing says happy holidays like customer service getting slammed by angry customers. Getting alerts immediately to the right person, critical when the incident occurs. And that is why there's Ops Genie. By Atlassian. Ops Genie empowers your teams to plan for service disruptions, stay in control, and it helps to notify all the right people through scheduling and escalation paths to take into account things like time zones and holidays and people who just can't be contacted on this date or that one. Deployment and scheduling of alerts, totally flexible. Email, SMS, mobile push, even voice calls, and it's supported by over 200 integrations like Jira, Amazon CloudWatch, Datadog, and so many more. OpsGenie can even help your team learn how to improve future incident responses. It's got built-in tracking and insight tools to make the crew work better. Sure, the holidays are a downtime, but really, do people stop using their tech over the holidays? Do thousands of new customers fire up the latest gadget and hammer your servers on Christmas morning? Yes, they do. Now, you can't prevent all service disruptions, but you can make them a much less painful experience for your customers. Fix it fast, keep your customers happy, by giving the unsung heroes in your company a better tool to fight the good fight. With OpsGenie, your next incident doesn't stand a chance. Visit OpsGenie.com to sign up to get a free company account and add up to five team members. That's OpsGenie.com. Never miss a critical alert again with OpsGenie. We got an email from Andrew at askatechning.com. He says, I know this topic has been discussed a lot, but I am still confused as to what I should do. I have a Drobo 5N that I love, but I have been playing around with the idea of creating a free NAS box and using it since it seems to be so much faster. 
While I would consider myself an advanced consumer user versus a professional computer guy, I am concerned that a free NAS box might be beyond me. I do have a few specific concerns. I wouldn't be using ECC RAM in the free NAS box. Is this a deal breaker? And number two, free NAS is kind of complicated. The configurations available with free NAS are immense and I just want to have a fast, stable and reliable NAS with a few volumes available for anyone on my network to connect to. And three, I would like to have something similar to the dual disk redundancy available with my Drobo. Is this possible with FreeNAS? I have already created my FreeNAS box and installed FreeNAS. I have a couple of old drives in it right now to experiment with, but I would eventually have five WD red drives in it, all the same capacity, of course. Any advice would be appreciated from Andrew. All oh, right. Oh, man. So TLDR. By a synology, just kidding. Yeah, literally, like, you love your Drobo, <laughs> buy another Drobo. Okay, yeah. disclosure, they've been advertisers on shows I've done in the past. Or seriously, get yourself a Synology NAS. Both of us have Synology NASs in our homes. There's a Synology NAS right over there that backs up everything. I that, love my Synology NAS. The tech thing in Hack 5 does. Um, you know, I, I have literally both Drobos and Synology in my house, and I let those companies deal with most of the fun, geeky stuff you'd learn getting a free NAS up and running. Mm -hmm. Now, your specific questions in order. Uh, first up, free NAS needs a healthy multi-core 64-bit processor and eight gigabytes of RAM minimum. Generally speaking, the recommendation is one gigabyte of RAM per terabyte of storage. So if you're gonna have 16 gigabytes in there, you probably want 16 gigabytes of RAM. Um, ECC RAM is strongly recommended. I've never run one with ECC RAM, but there are folks out there that think running a storage server without ECC RAM is really, really dumb. And they will tell you this really, really bluntly in the forums or in the YouTube comments <laughs> if you just, do a FreeNAS build. That's why I don't read forums or comments. Some of the folks that code FreeNAS, not so intense about the ECC, but if you can afford it, get it. If you can't afford it, it probably won't be a problem. I don't want to revisit that particular chapter of my technical <laughs> life. Um, two, you are absolutely right. FreeNAS is kind of complicated. Like most open source operating systems, uh, for example, FreeBSD, what it's built on, Linux, which you may be operating right now, like most open source tools, you can customize all the things, which is really overwhelming, though a tremendous learning experience that could lead you to maybe a new job in the future if you work in technology. Uh, if you just want to NAS, Get another Drobo or a Synology box. Again, I have a Drobo DAS, like desk attached storage, and I have a Synology NAS in my house. It's nice. Now, number three, personally, I think an offsite backup using a cloud service like Backblaze B2 is a better use of resources than dual disk redundancy, although multiple disk redundancy is nice. Uh, but when you dig into FreeNAS configurations, like RAID Z2, which requires at least four disks, or RAID Z3, like this is dual disk redundancy, and this will do triple disk redundancy. Um, or you can run like RAID 5 or RAID 6, or excuse me, sorry, RAID 6 or RAID 7 to get dual or triple disk redundancy. Um, but again, you're gonna take a performance hit as you add additional layers of redundancy to the drives. I think FreeNAS is freaking awesome. Uh, but I run a Synology NAS at home, so I don't have to think uh, any, like I, I set it up, and then I make sure the updates are done, and then I don't think about it. Yep. Um, seriously, offsite backups for that beast, because nothing says pain and trauma, like your NAS going down, <laughs> or an electrical strike on your house. So true. Or somebody stealing your NAS, uh -huh. and you being like, my stuff was backed up on the NAS, yep. which is gone. That's why I got Spider out. 
backing up all the things yeah. like 17 times. Yeah. Just kidding, not 17. A NAS can be That's part overkill. of your 3-2-1 backup. A NAS is not a complete backup solution. Absolutely. Three copies, two different medias, one off-site. I'm glad you're looking into free NAS. It's a really good option for people that really want to customize all the things. Uh, but yeah, like you mentioned, it is complicated, so it's yeah. not for everyone. So if, if you have the money to spare and you want to buy something mm -hmm. that is already ready to go out of the box, that's what yeah. you're paying for is for you know that customer service and something already out of the box. So if you have any questions about network attached storage, definitely send them our way. We would love to answer them for you. Ask at techthink.com or tweet us at techthink. Last week, we talked about travel security, and it was super fun. I got to geek out about security, which is always a good thing. And back we got <laughs> we got a great tweet. It was from Rio Kimball. They said, speaking of USB attacks in public spaces, I usually hate finding a USB cable in my collection with no data-only charges, but that would keep that vector from being a problem. Plus, there are devices made for this. Uh, specifically, he links over to Amazon.com, and their pluggable USB universal fast one amp, it's one amp charge only adapter for Android, Apple, iOS, and Windows mobile devices. So there are those things out there. We also call them USB condoms. <laughs> That's a thing. <laughs> Not arguing. Um, <laughs> it's just what they're called. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> yeah, and one amp is nice, but I want higher charging speeds yeah, so my battery stays in the bag with me. Yes. Oh my goodness. Speaking of travel questions and security at DNS, where did it go? DNS Debro tweets, what are your thoughts on connecting your phone to a rental car's Bluetooth? Mm, good question, Dennis. And strictly speaking, I just don't connect at all because some cars like to gain access mm. to your contacts. Some of them like to gain access to your home address whenever you use their built-in maps. I don't put computer. a home address in my phone. That's good. Yeah. Some of it them let you program me. the home address directly into the yeah. car. I prefer to simply use Google's Android Auto and then I keep my phone separate and I just use my phone's speaker. Otherwise, I just listen to the radio. I, I gotta say, it's only been very, very, most of the rental cars like are, are like whatever the cheapest econo box I can rent. Yeah. And it's it doesn't only, even have Bluetooth. Yeah, it's only <laughs> recently that I've started to see Bluetooth in those cars. I have connected my Bluetooth to rental cars but I am uptight about it, and I never share contacts, uh, not Good. even with the car I own. Oh, that's good. Yeah, well, yeah. I work with hackers. Yep. I'm paranoid by nature, and it just, why would I? No, you yeah. don't need my contacts. <laughs> You're gonna send them to OnStar. You're driving a <laughs> Honda, Mr. Norton, but it could happen. <laughs> Probably not, but uh, yeah, I, I, I doubt, like given the turnover yeah. on rental cars and the fact that they're all over the place and you never know where they're gonna go up, I doubt there's a real serious you know, Bluetooth information hacking and harvesting situation with rental cars. But, you know, share as little as possible and, you know, think twice. Limit, you limit your vectors of attack so that you don't end up being, being one of the people that do end up getting hacked. 127,000 people were discovered to have had their information <laughs> harvested by Bob, yep. a worker for this company. Now, when it comes <laughs> to my own car, I do use the Bluetooth connection, but I'm very, very adamant about making sure I turn off the Bluetooth on my right. phone as soon as I step out of the car so that if I'm in like a very crowded place, for example, like I mentioned last week in the travel security, that Bluetooth is off and it won't be skimmed or it won't be sniffed by right. somebody nearby. Turn off all the things. Turn off all the things. Protect everyone. <laughs> Go live in a house, in the a shack. Go live in a yurt. 
A yurt. A Wi-Fi free yurt in the words. Yes. Words. Words. Apparently, ladies and gentlemen, it's the end of the year and I'm tired, but I do have to thank the crew at Hack 5. Hack 5 loans us the studio we shoot tech thing in and we're grateful for that. Thank you, Darren. Hey, by the way, while you're there, go to hack5.org. While you're on your computer, and I don't know if the Hack Your Holiday sales is still running when you do this, but there will still be Metasploit Minutes, Hack Tips, Threatwire, Hack 5 is relaunching in January, and of course, Hack 5 is all about the awesome pen testing and USB automation software. And by the way, don't forget Cloud C2 remote pen testing made easy. It's free. C2.hack5.org. And remember, once in a while, put down your phone, step away from your screen, close the laptop, and do something analog like Jeff. <sighs> Who writes in, recently I did a winter hike on part of the Appalachian Trail in Virginia. So I've been obsessed with getting back out there. On my days off, I find random trails in the area and it's pretty fun. I didn't realize how many free trails there are, especially historical Civil War trails around here. I recommend everyone to get out there. You never realize how fun it is until you do it. And he sent a slew of photos, which I'm currently showing off on my computer if you're watching this video. <laughs> I mean, it looks gorgeous. There's probably a Bigfoot back there somewhere. Uh, that's definitely Bigfoot's home, for no. sure. No, definitely. Yeah, look at this. So cool. I love your photos. Oh, mushrooms growing. Cool. So awesome. You haven't been outside in a while, have you? Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to Hopefully... Uh, by next week's show, there should be a, a picture of me hugging a tree that's like 12 feet across. Oh, wow. Assuming they didn't all get burned to the ground. <laughs> Those are awesome pictures. Thank you so much, Jeff. Yeah. And of course, if you have analog pics that you want to send our way, send your photos over to askftechnic.com and put in the subject line, analog pic, so that we see it. Thank you so much. I'm going snowshoeing if there's snow. I'm, I'm not checking the weather because I don't want to know until it's time to leave. That sounds awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for watching Tech Thing this year, for sharing it with your friends, for our patrons who make the show possible, for our advertisers who help out. Thank you, Atlassian Opgenie. And quite frankly, let me say it clearly, you for watching the show. I'm Patrick Norton. I'm Shannon Morris. We'll see you next week on Tech Thing. You're flying out tonight, aren't you? Tomorrow. Oh, that's good. Yay! So you get to pack tonight. Yep. I'm packing tonight, finishing off my blog misses while I'm at home. You should drink a lot so you fly hungover. I hear that's the best way to fly. No. <laughs> oh, tonight? No, that's a terrible idea. But I do have free drink tickets for Southwest, so I can totally get some drinks while I'm on the plane because I don't land until like 3 p.m. so I can be drunk today. Thing. Start my trip early. There's a reason I'm sober and not allowed to drink. <laughs> it's four o'clock somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Four o'clock somewhere. But I don't Do you like a Bloody Mary, sir? I'd like a bottle of tequila. For that's me, why I'm sober. For me, drinking is like, oh, let's have two beers. And then I'm like, oh, I drink too much. I have to eat. <laughs> and then I just, it just doesn't happen. So that's as far as I can get. <laughs> <laughs>